Tonight we're in Jude, and uh, we've been in our sixth study in this small little letter, just 25 verses. You know, we've looked so far at the purpose of his writing in verse 2, and that's to encourage us to contend for the faith, uh, to fight for the faith. Um, and we do that by exposing false teachers and encouraging believers to contend for the faith and finish strong. And then um, we saw the problem that required such a letter. He wanted to write to them about their common salvation, but he couldn't do that. Something was pressing, and the thing that was pressing was these people who were creeping in, these false teachers who were creeping into their congregation, and unbeknownst to them, they were perverting, it says, the grace of our God into sensuality and denying our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And these were false teachers who were sneaking in to congregations and causing these problems. Jude had to address that. And then thirdly, we said not just the purpose and the the problem that caused such a a letter to be written, but also the claim, and we took a couple weeks to work through that, and we talked about the Israeli apostates in verse 5. He gives three examples there. The angelic apostates in verse 6, and the Gentile apostates in verse 7. He's writing out of concern, he was concerned for this church because he felt they were losing focus on what they needed to be focusing on. And he thought, you know what, they are, they're, they're failing to contend for the faith. That's what he basically points out there in verse 3. So that's his, 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 his purpose here for this. And he's encouraging them, he's appealing to them, you could say, uh, commanding them to fight. And, and that's one thing that it's hard to understand is, is that today we are definitely in a battle for the truth. Hopefully you understand that, that this is, this is a hard time and it was hard back then. Uh, I liked, I was reading through um, one of John MacArthur's messages this past week and he calls these people, these certain people who creep in, um, in verse four, he calls them spirit, uh, spiritual terrorists. <laughs> and he describes it this way. He says, basically, and, and he, I guess he preached this sermon back when, right after 9-11 happened and stuff, but um, he, he basically points out two things that make terrorists so dangerous. Number one, they're hidden. They're unknown, right? They don't come in and say, hey, I'm a terrorist. I want to blow you up. No, they, they mask themselves. They don't wear a uniform. They don't, you know, that's what makes the, the war on terrorism. It was so difficult. And then secondly, he said, they're willing to die for their cause. There's nothing you can do to that. You can't, you know, if you kill them, you kill them. They're going to kill themselves anyway, most of them. So it, he, he points that out. And he says the, fo- the following in one of his messages, and I just want to read this quote to you. He says, as I look out at the evangelical church, I see parts of the city of God smoldering in destruction from the bombs of Satan's spiritual terrorists that have been planted here and there to blow people to bits. And to, ha- and to blow the terrorists themselves into eternal hell as long as their targets in the church are destroyed. And then he continues, he says, the terrorists who are hidden in the church are far more dangerous than the terrorists or the physical terrorists who are hidden in our neighborhoods across America and around the world. Because those terrorists can only kill the body, he says, but the terrorists in the church can destroy the truth and leave a rubble of lives that damns men's souls and i thought wow that that really hit the spot that that made a lot of sense to me 
And those of us who know Christ, those of us who are truly part of the, the church of Christ, we're born again, we know the Spirit dwells within us. We've been called by Jude in verse 3. He says there to earnestly, um, with some effort is the idea. It's not just going to happen naturally. Contend for the faith. Um, the idea that is to get our focus on the, on the fighting the battle that he's given us, that the Lord has put before us to protect not just the church, but the truth from these deceptive teachers who are out there attacking it. And in verse 4, he says there, they've crept in unnoticed. And that's how terrorists work, right? I mean, I'm sure there's many terrorists flowing across our southern border as we speak. And we won't know it until they blow something up or they harm someone, and then everybody will go, wow, why did we allow this to happen? Um, we don't know who they are at first. They don't come in, they don't announce themselves. Um, verse 12 in Jude, look down there, it says, these are hidden reefs at your love feast. They're, they're hidden, they're below the water level. You don't really understand what's going on there. It says, as they feast with you without fear. You know, that's one thing that, that terrorists are known for is really they don't fear a lot of things. They put themselves in harm's way for their cause. And what Jude is pointing out is, you know what, they're already right there in your midst. Um, they're undiscovered. You don't know who they are, but you're rubbing elbows with them in the church, and they're fearless. Uh, in verse 13, it says they're headed for black darkness. It says, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. In verse 7, it says they're headed for the punishment of eternal fire. Um, it, you know, it doesn't seem to bother them. They don't really care. And that's really kind of the aspect of this. And, and he, he says, you know what, we have to realize that these people exist within the church. Now, when I say the church, I'm talking about the broadest sense of Christendom, Christianity, not just our church, but not just any local church, but the universal church of Christ. And I want you to hear what Jude says. Now, if you follow along in your Bibles, I just want to read this, a bigger passage for us. We're only going to get through a couple verses here. But I want to read the next kind of section of Scripture that, that Jude um, deals with here, beginning in verse 8. And he, listen to how he describes them. He says, Yet in like manner, these people, these people who've crept in, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Verse 9, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And we're going to get into that, probably not tonight, but we will get into that, what that means. Verse 10, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively verse 11 woe to them for they walked in the way of cain and they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to balaam's error and perished in korah's rebellion and he says there in verse 12 that we which we read these are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead uprooted wild waves of the sea casting up the foam their uh casting up the foam of their own shame wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever verse 14 it was also about these at enoch the seventh from 
Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. I mean, he, he can't describe this enough, how horrible this is. And he says, And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, And then he gives a description of them in verse 16. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desire. Uh, They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Um, Well, let me open a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll look at some of these passages. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this epistle from Jude who warns us to keep on the watch, to watch out for for people who are attacking the truth, attacking the true gospel and attacking our faith. And Lord, we just pray that you give us wisdom tonight as we uh, work our way through these passages. We thank you in Jesus' name. You know, when we read that, it's just an amazing description of these false heretics, these false apostates, these false teachers. And Peter says, uh, remember I said in 2 Peter chapter 2, if you read 2 Peter chapter 2, it's almost like you're reading the book of Jude. It's very similar. Uh, We know that 2 Peter was written first, And then Jude, even though Jude is chronologically after that in the Bible, uh, 2 Peter was written first. And 2 Peter basically warns us that, you know what, Uh, be on the lookout, these people are coming, these people are coming. Well, now Jude tells us they're not coming, they're here. (laughs) They're in your midst. And so he's kind of sounding the alarm. And um, remember, he's talking about false teachers here apostasy basically means to defect or to depart to abandon all right that what is true defecting from the faith they they may be hearing the faith they know the faith they know the true gospel they're hearing the true gospel Uh, maybe they even profess to know christ okay and then they apostatize they turn away from it they abandon it and that's a very dangerous place to be in I always tell people, it's better you never hear the gospel than to hear the gospel and willfully reject it. Um, And this isn't something that's new to the New Testament. This has been going on for since the beginning of time, really. But in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 15, I'll just read it for you. You don't have to turn there. It says, Israel forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. And there's a lot of other verses in the Old Testament that talk about Israel and how they were apostatized. They were, they were leaving the God who created them in one, one way or another. And um, those who are of these, these, these apostates, Jude is addressing a, a group of them. Because not all apostates fit into this category of people who are in the church and they're trying to undermine the truth of the gospel within the church. Uh, there, there are apostates, there are people who, you know, profess Christ and then they walk away, they, they leave the faith. We all probably know people like that personally, right? And they don't stay in the church. They don't have any reason to stay in the church. They hate the church, so they run for the church. But there, there are certain people who come into the church and they're not true believers and they're, they're trying to subvert anyone who's teaching the truth. Okay, and they don't do it openly. They do it hiddenly. And so we have to be careful because they're, they're, they're really dead, deadly spiritual terrorists who are embedded in churches all across America. 
And so he's, he's talking about them. He's talking about these certain apostates who not just walked away from the faith, but now they, they kind of have a, an agenda to undermine everything that's true. And so rather than leave the church, they stay in the church. And uh, they become agents of Satan's uh, light. They're disguised. Uh, sometimes they're wearing uh, backward collars. Sometimes they're wearing a cardinal's cap or sometimes they're sitting on a pope's throne. Uh, sometimes they lead a heretical sect. Uh, sometimes they're professors in so-called Christian universities. Uh, I was just down in Rite Aid the other day and I was going through the, the line and standing in line waiting to check out and the guy in front of me he had a case of beer and he looked over and on the magazine rack, I think it was Life or Time, had their you know annual thing with Jesus of Nazareth. They had a picture of Jesus all painted up nice. And it was like this collector's edition, I guess. I don't, I don't know what it said. I, I didn't take the time. But he looked at it, and he beelined over there, and he grabbed it. And he's, he's looking at everybody, and he's like holding it up. Like, what's this guy doing, you know? And he's like going through it, and he's reading it. He didn't say anything, but he ended up buying it. So I, 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 I almost wanted it. It was too expensive, but I, and I didn't have time to read it. But I almost thought, wow, I wonder what this is, you know, what he's so interested in there. But, you know, I, I can guarantee you it's probably not the truth about who Christ is. <laughs> Okay, it's some watered down, whatever, you know, and uh, we see that all over the place. These are the kind of people that are subverting the truth that Jude is warning us about. Um, We see them on TV. We see TV preachers who are doing this. We see TV healers who are doing this. And they're really bent on not so much building the church, but destroying the church from within. And if you turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2, and you just look at, uh, it, it, he describes this very clearly. Second um, Peter chapter 2, he tells us in verse 1, he says, But false prophets also arose among the people, speaking back then, just as there will be, see how he's saying that, false teachers among you. So it's written before Jude, and when Jude comes along, he's not saying there will be false teachers. He goes, they're already here. And he says, they secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So many will follow, verse 2, their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you, exploit you with false words and their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. In other words, it's guaranteed. God doesn't look lightly on people who do this. And so we read there from verses 8 to 11. It's a wonderful section of of scripture in verse 5 through um, 11. Basically, he he wants to unmask these, these spiritual terrorists these people who are creeping in, he wants everybody to know what they're like. And he, last time we were together, we talked about their destruction. And he talks about uh, three things there. He says in verse 5, we saw where he talked about Israel, how they were apostate. And he follows up with their destruction. Verse 6, he talks about the angels who left their abode in heaven. And we related back to Genesis um, 6 and talked about what happened there. And then in verse 7, he talks about the Gentiles of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so now we, we look at verses 8 to 11 and we begin to realize these characteristics of those who are these false teachers. Who, what do they look like? How are we supposed to recognize them? You know, the one thing that 
really advanced itself in the war against terrorism was when they started figuring out facial recognition. You know, uh, my son-in-law was telling me when he worked in D.C. at the Navy Yard, he said every time you would go down this certain road and whatever, I mean, there was cameras taking your picture like every <laughs> so many feet. And they knew exactly who you were. They knew where you lived. They knew your job. They knew everything about you. And he goes, that's, that's all over D.C. But he said, it's, it's facial recognition has just made this possible. So now this is kind of giving us a, not so much a photograph, but kind of a spiritual photograph of what a spiritual terrorist looks like. And he begins in verse 8, and he, he starts to talk about basically three attitudes, you could say, that they have. And he talks about their immorality. He talks about their insubordination and he talks about their irreverence and we're going to we're going to look at all that and in verse 11 and it's it's interesting because he kind of breaks this up into sections of three everything's three last time we had israel the angels and the gentiles uh, tonight we'll look at their immorality their insubordination their ir- irreverence and then in verse 11 you have three comparisons of their influence you have cain you have balaam and you have korah so it's a very organized couple of verses here in Jude, and you can tell how the Holy Spirit has put this together, that he, he wanted to really lay this foundation clearly so that we could clearly see this. And so Jude, last week, we saw the illustration of Israel, the illustration of the angels, the illustration of, of Sodom and, and Gomorrah. And in each case, verse 5, it says those in Israel were destroyed, remember, in the wilderness. Verse 6, it says, the angels, they're kept in eternal bonds of darkness for the judgment of that great day. And the Gentiles in Sodom and Gomorrah, they're awaiting eternal fire, but they were also burned up on the spot. And we talked about all that last week. And so Jude establishes then about these false teachers, these apostates, whoever they are, whether they're Jews, whether they're angels, whether they're Gentiles of Sodom and Gomorrah, they all receive a severe judgment and so god doesn't just turn an eye you know blank eye to this um you know this should give us hope that god sees what's going on right in 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 certain elements of of our society and certain elements even of the church he sees the people that are not teaching the truth and he speaks about their destruction in verse 10 he speaks about it again in verse 12 where he says twice dead they're uprooted and in verse 13 he says for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And then in verse 15, to execute judgment upon all. And so he, he wants us to understand the, what these people look like, what the characteristics are of those who deceive. Now, look at what he says in verse 8, because before we get into these three characteristics, we have a couple things to deal with yet. He says in verse 8, in, yet in like manner. See that? Yet in like manner. Um, he's he's referring back to what he just told us, what we studied last week. He's referring back to the Israelites. He's referring back to these fallen angels. He's referring back to these Gentiles. And he says, you know what? In like manner, um, we learn that, that God treats these people the way he does for a certain reason. And when he says they're in like manner, who are these, these people that he's talking about? In like manner, these people. Well, who are these people? What people? Well, he's going back to verse 4. These people who crept in. He's talking about these apostates. He's talking about these false teachers. 
who are marked out for condemnation. They're ungodly people who turn the grace of our God into, it says, sensuality or licentiousness. And they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the people that he, he wants us to understand who he's talking about. And in the original language, we have four, four words here, in yet in like manner, but really you could say likewise. Because in the Greek, it's just one word. You can say, likewise, these people. Um, and so he wants them to know who they are. And it really helps us to understand. And when you stop and you think about it, well, he's referring back to Israel. Well, guess what? Israel engaged in immorality. Okay, do you remember that? When Moses came down from the mountain, remember? And they were having an all-out party. They engaged in immorality. Um, they engaged in insubordination. They didn't obey the word of God. Uh, they murmured, they complained against uh, their God. They engaged in irreverence. Remember what they did? They began to worship an idol. They violated the very command that God had given them on the mountain. They turned a blind eye to it. So Israel did those three things. But you know what? The angels did the same thing. And this is what he's saying. Just like them, this is what's going to happen. The angels engaged in immorality with the daughters of men. The angels fell uh, because of their in, insubordination. They left their proper abode and they, they didn't do what God wanted them to do where he wanted them to be. And, uh, and the angels engaged in irreverence. They did the ultimate, right? They defied God. And they followed Lucifer. And so um, they wouldn't give God the proper honor. And so they were irreverent. And, and the same thing applies to the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. They were immoral, they were insubordinate to the truth that was told to them by Lot, and they were irreverent to the degree that they were actually assaulting, they were trying to assault. Remember the angels that came and visited Lot? They were trying to break down the door to have relations with them. I mean, these are holy angels. These weren't even fallen angels. I mean, can you imagine such a thing? That's very irreverent. And so this, when he says in the same manner or likewise, he's pulling all of this together into the description of these apostles apostatizing teachers, these, these apostates who attack the truth. And so he points out to us where they go with this. It says, first of all, in like manner, these people, and then it, it, it points it out there. It says they, they defile the flesh, that's immorality. They reject authority, that's insubordination. And they, uh, they blaspheme the glorious ones, the ESV says, uh, others say it reviles the angelic majesties. That's irreverence, and we're going to talk about those. We'll talk about at least, hopefully, the first two tonight. But those are all kind of pictures of what these people are going to look like. And if you want to spot an apostate, look for those three things. Now, it's not obvious. You have to unmask their immorality. You have to unmask their insubordination. You have to um, unmask their irreverent. They don't come into church saying, hey, I want to be an immoral insubordinate and irreverent. Will you welcome me as a member? I mean, they're not going to do that, right? You have to do your homework. You have to figure it out. They have to be unmasked. But those, those templates apply every time. When, when they are unmasked, you see it. You say, wow, this is what's really going on behind the scenes. And so Israel, angels, Gentiles are all marked by the same three characteristics that, that Jude is pointing out here. Immorality, insubordination, and irreverent, irreverence. Or blasphemy, you could say. Um, now, notice, he says, likewise, these people, 
Okay, yet in the same manner, these people also, and then it says this before we get into the three things, relying on their dreams. See that? Relying on their dreams. What's he talking about here? Um, this Greek word is, is, it's a big word. Okay, and what it means is that either they were mystics who claimed to have access to uh, supernatural revelation, or it could also mean that they just were kind of relying on their own fanciful dreams that they thought up in their own head. Either way, okay, what they're doing is they're supplanting the word of God with their own, with their own thoughts, okay? And that's what, what happens. And so when he says in the same manner these dreamers or likewise these dreamers, it's talking about these false teachers. That's what they're, that's what they're called. They're called dreamers, and that's not a good term. That's not a good term. Um, what, is, what is he saying here? What about these dreamers? Well, the normal word that you would use for dream in the original language is onar, O-N-A-R. That's the original Greek word. And it's used in the New Testament to speak about somebody who just has a normal dream. Okay, this is not that word. And this word is, is much longer, and it, it's a word that's used only one other place in the New Testament. And that's over in Acts chapter 2, verse 13, where Peter's preaching his sermon on the day of Pentecost and the Spirit comes and, and men begin to speak with other languages and, and Peter has to explain, hey, these guys aren't drunk. You know, it's too early for that. This is the Holy Spirit working here. And he says, this is actually fulfilling a prophecy of Joel. And he begins to quote, Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, here's what Peter says. In the last days, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions. And here it is. And your old men shall dream dreams. That's the word. Okay, that's the word. And what this is talking about, this is the only two places it's used in the New Testament. And here it's speaking of of visions is speaking of dreams that are supernatural this is divine revelation that peter says is going to happen when christ returns okay um well it says here in the future w prophecy which now has ceased in this frame we, we're not receiving new prophecy from god and writing it in our bibles that ceased for for this church age uh, the revelation that god was given to these people who put the bible together that ceased all right? It ceased for a period of time with the completion of the New Testament. And even these visions and these dreams have ceased for this period of time. We're not receiving. God isn't whispering in our ears and we're writing it in the back of our, our Bibles, like I said on Sunday. We don't do that. We believe the canon is closed. And that's why Jude says, hey, this, this revelation, this, this was given to you once and for all. This is it. This is complete. And we need to defend it. Um, but when the kingdom comes back, there will be, once again, these things. God will use these things. And um, God will reveal himself not only through visions and through prophecies, but also when people are awake, but also through dreams when they're asleep. He will do that again one day. Uh, and it's not something new. He did it with Joseph, remember? Joseph had a dream. So, so God is in the business of doing this. It's just that right now during the church age, we don't believe this is actively going on. But this is exactly what the false teachers say is going on. And they need to have a source 
A false teacher needs to have a source of authority. If they're not relying on the Bible as their source of authority, and the Bible doesn't fit their agenda, what do they have to do? They have to come up with a new source of authority. You're not going to listen to somebody who gets up and goes, hey, you know what, yeah, I, I think that there was this angel named Moroni, and I think maybe he, he left me some tablets. No, you're going to say, this guy's nuts. But when you stand up and you say, I had a divine vision, and this angel spoke to me, and I was, it was real. And, and you, know, you see that going on across, not just cults, but even within the church, people are doing this. Wow, I had a vision, and I went to heaven, and you, know, you see this going on all the time. And I just think, whenever somebody tells me, well, you know, I had a vision, and I had a dream, I just go, yeah, no thank you. I don't even want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Because if it's not in this book, as far as I'm concerned, it's not from God. You know, um, and what happens is these revelatory experiences that people are saying, they're, they're telling people, well, God secretly communicates to me. I have a special relationship with God that you don't have, and that's why I got this vision and you didn't. And that gives me the authority to build this whole ministry around and write my little book and have my TV program and everything. And it doesn't matter whether you're looking at Joseph Smith or you're looking at Benny Hinn and everybody in between. They all do the same thing when you listen to them. God gave me a vision. I have a new word from God. They're, they're exceeding the bounds of Scripture. Why? Because they can't support what they're doing through the Bible. All right? They have to have another authority. So they can't be submissive to the word of God. They don't want to be submissive to the word of God. They actually, in their hearts, reject the word of God because they're, for the most part, natural men um, who don't even have the spirit, Jude says a little later on. And so Jude wants, them to, wants us to understand that the, these, these, these false teachers, in the same manner as these people, these, these people that have gone before, the people that creep in, they rely on their dreams. They don't have any basis of authority. Why would you ever listen to them? And yet we have people being talked into and giving them money and, and, and supporting their ministries when they're basically fraudulent. And, you know, when 60 Minutes does an expose on, on Robert Tilton, for example, who's one of these heretical teachers, and, and they find out that, you know what, all the little prayer envelopes that people send in with their, with their money, are all the, all, the, all the prayer requests are flown, thrown in the trash in the dumpster, and they take the cash out. I mean, you know, this was, this has done, gone over and over and over, 60 Minutes and all these special news programs have done exposés on these guys and they're total heretics and they're fraudulent and yet they're still on tv and people are still funding their mansions and they're i don't understand it they're being duped you know a lot of the followers of these people are not evil people they really believe that there's something to this because they've been they've been lied to they've been um they've been you know deceived basically by these false teachers and so they have to have a source for their deceptions. They can't use the word of God, so they come up with their own revelation. Now, look back in, in, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, because I just wanted to give you a perspective of what God thinks about this. And I think it's important that you see this. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy 5th book, chapter 13. Here's what God's word says in verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and 
it's weird because the original language here, um, he's kind of saying when this happens, not if. This isn't kind of conditional like, well, this may or may not happen. No, it, it happened all the time during this time. There was always people trying to you know, deceive people and saying, oh, I have a dream, I have a vision, follow me. So he says, when this happens, whether it's a prophet or a dreamer of dream arises among you, and he says, and gives you a sign or a wonder, look at what it says in verse 2, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. Wow. So he actually says, hey, this is going to happen, and it actually happens. Now, if somebody did that to me, I'd probably, wow, this guy's got some, you know, there's some, something going on here. But then he says, and if he says, let us go after other gods, key statement, which you have not known, and let us serve them. Verse 3, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet, or, I like the word here, that dreamer of dreams. In other words, this guy's just full of baloney. It's just hot air coming out of his mouth. He's making this stuff up. That's, that's the, the real meaning here. He says, for the Lord... Your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Verse 4, And you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. You don't go following somebody who comes up and says, Wow, the Lord told me this. Well, that sounds kind of neat. And you're kind of entrapped by all that. Don't do that. He says, But the prophet... Verse 5, or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Yikes. That's, that's, that's a pretty firm stance. Because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Those are very strong words. I mean, I don't know how you could say it any stronger, really. And what he's saying is if there's a dreamer of dreams that comes along, if anybody comes along and tells you God talked to him in a dream, shut him up and cling to the word of God. Cling to what you have. Don't listen to it. It's nonsense. Don't follow the dreamer. Even over in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1, he says, Woe to shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is what they do. They come into churches and they divide, they conquer. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will not attend. I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. This is kind of a, uh, a wrong use of, of being a shepherd. They're really feeding themselves off the flock. Verse 23, he says, Am I not a God at hand, declares the Lord, Jeremiah 23, 23, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? What's he saying? He's saying, look, I, I see what's going on. I know exactly what's going on. You might think you're hidden in your little love feast and you're creeping into the church, but I see you. I see everything. Uh, you may think you've crept in unnoticed, but you haven't. And he continues down in verse 25. He says, I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. <laughs> How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? 
who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. This is what's going on in our churches today. People are coming up with all kinds of new theology and new doctrine that doesn't agree with the text of Scripture. But they're saying, no, no, this is a word from God. Thus saith the Lord. And then when you call into question their authority and what they're doing, what do they do? They pull a verse out of context. It's, oh, you know, be careful. You know, don't, don't you accuse the Lord's anointed, <laughs> right? They think they're like some high and mighty person that has this direct contact with God and God's whispering in their ear 24-7. And what he's saying is, don't listen to anybody who's telling you that God's talked to him in a dream or a vision or anything. You have the word of God. You listen to someone who teaches the Bible. That's what the New Testament warns us about over and over again. Um, in verse chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 18, it says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And that kind of expands the whole thing. And, and Christians are getting suckered into these things all the time. And they're wasting time, they're wasting talent, they're wasting resources on, on false teachers, really. And we need to be reminded that um, these people are leading Christians astray. No question about that. So when someone says, you know, oh, I got a vision, Pastor, I, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, I, I'd be as bold to say, you're a liar, you're a deceiver. I don't want anything to do with you. Um, and yet, it sounds real spiritual when somebody says something like that. And we're warned by, by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to what? To deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what is happening. Um, beware of those people who, who talk about these, these dreams they're having because they're, you're, just, you're just setting yourself up for a loss. Well, look at these attitudes Moving on from th these dreamers, he, he begins to list these attitudes in verse 8. He says, first of all, they defile the flesh. This is the first one. This is their, you could refer to as their immorality. All right, they're defiling the flesh. Um, these dreamers defile the flesh. The, the word flesh there, sarks, means physical body. It's not talking about the whole essence of depravity like Romans 7 would. It's talking about your physical body, sarks. And, um, you know, uh, whenever you talk about sarks and, and this idea of defilement, all right, it, it means to stain or to pollute, that word does, or contaminate. You could say it means to corrupt. Whenever you use those two words together, it speaks always, always of some form of immorality, some form of sexual sin. And so he's saying... Number one, you can mark these guys out, these people out who creep into these churches by their, the first thing on the list is their immorality. Their immorality. Now, it may not be clear because they're not going to just come out and say, oh, they're immoral. But we've seen it. We've seen, you know, presidents of whole theological associations be brought up on spiritual charges and and whatnot of homosexuality, of drugs, of all kinds of things. Prostitution, 
And, and these are leaders of these organizations. And you step back and you go, how could that be? Well, this is, this is how. Because this is, the, you're just, you know, as time passes by, the truth comes out. Sooner or later, it does. A lot of times, it's, unfortunately, it's later. But, you know, it, it says here that they are defiling the flesh. They defile the flesh. They, they make it corrupt. Um, and it doesn't matter who you, who you look at. Um, they may hide it very well but I guarantee you that it's there. And the problem today, really, in our society is that, you know, we live in this techno-digital age, right? So you can go on the internet and listen to millions of sermons, right? You can go on podcasts and listen to people talk in your ear all day long, but you don't know what they're like, right? You're just hearing their voice. You're just watching them on a TV for 30 minutes. What do they do when the 30 minutes is over? Right? You, you don't know because you're not there. They're not really your pastor. They're, they're not with you physically. They're not another church member that you get to know over a period of time. They're just somebody you turn on and off when you want a little spiritual boost. And so this has just created a, cultivated a, a, a very good ground for all this deception to go on. And there's, there's a ton of people who, uh, you know, I've, I've followed up with some of these guys on the internet and you listen to them and, and you're thinking, wow, something's off here. And you do a little investigation. And have you ever, there's a, one guy on, uh, it's called the Shepherd's Chapel. Have you ever watched this guy on TV? Gravit, Arkansas. This guy is just, he says enough truth to kind of pull you in. But then when you start listening to what he says, he's way off base, way off base. And, you know, I went online and found a stream thing of one of his little services and he's got this little you know kind of a uh, uh, commercial building but the the service i saw had a handful of people there and yet you would think this guy had like you know thousands of people in his church he hadn't but he's making a ton of money you know because he's portraying himself as something he's not and so you, you just have to be careful and uh, it, it tells us that they are basically, these, these false teachers are immoral at heart. And if you, if you question me on this, look at what verse 19, continuing to talk about these people, look at, at Jude 19. It says, it's these, the same people, he's referring to the same people, it is these who cause divisions, and then it calls them worldly people, and then it says what? They're devoid of the Spirit. That means they don't have the Spirit. Last time I checked, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're not a believer. <laughs> I'm sorry. You can't be a believer and not have the Holy Spirit. So they don't have any divine power to restrain their flesh like we do. You know, when we sin, what happens? The Holy Spirit convicts us, right? And, and we, we kind of want to make a fast track to God and confess it and get it, get it behind us and move on. These people don't have that. And so, hey, if they can get away with something they're going to get away with it because they don't have that conviction in their life. Um, there's no work of regeneration. There's no work of sanctification. They're devoid of the Spirit. They may claim to be virtuous. They may claim to be authoritative. They may be claim to even be righteous. They may wear all the, the garb or whatever they put on to make themselves look holy. They may have a title priest or minister or preacher or pastor or whatever, but in their heart of hearts, they love lust. 
they're, they're, they're so focused on that they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, John 3 says. They're spoiled. They're polluted. They're like Israel when they were committing adultery at the foot of Mount Sinai. They're like the angels coming down out of heaven, taking on human form and cohabitating with women. They're like the Gentiles in Sodom and Gomorrah and all the homosexual behavior that went on there. They may, may mask it for a while, but at their heart, they're immoral. And you know, it, you just have to look at some of these organizations that are filled with these kind of people. You look at an organization like the Catholic Church, for example. I mean, why, why is it a surprise that you know, they have this whole sexual problem with their priests? Why, why would that surprise us? I mean, God created man and woman, right? And he created them with certain needs and things like that. And he, he provided marriage to have those needs fulfilled. But the Catholic Church comes out and says, well, no, you can't be married anymore. A lot of people don't realize this, but Catholic priests once were allowed to marry. And they had a certain pope that came along because they were going through a money crunch. They said, hey, we can't support all these priests' families. So you know what? I'm going to pass an edict. From now on, priests, you have to be, if you're really committed to God, you're going to be celibate. Okay, well, what do you do with your wife and your kids? You know what they did? Put them out on the street. Literally, they put them out on the street. They orphaned them. And they said, this is a test of your loyalty to Christ and the church. Are you going to be part of the Catholic Church as a priest or not? Because these are the new rules. Either you play by the rules or you don't play at all. And so you had thousands of children and wives being orphaned because of this decision. And then you find out, I forget the time frame, maybe a couple years later, the priest comes out and says, oh, by the way, we're passing a new, a new rule. You have to call your priest father now. That's why you call a priest father. And it's kind of like, wow, you're calling somebody father who really orphaned their own children and their wife. They're not even caring for them. And now we have to call you father. It's really bizarre. But when you look at that and you look at all the scandalous activities that went in to that whole Catholic priesthood thing, and even now you still hear radio ads, you know, if you've been a victim of, you know, call my law firm, whatever. Um, and now it's opening up to even, if you've noticed, the church, the Mormon church been part of the LDS and you've been sexually molested or whatever then call us and we'll, we'll get a, uh, a settlement for you I mean when you stop and think about it these people are held to a standard they can't hold they don't have the spirit of God they have nothing to restrain the desire the same desires that, that, that we have really and so they and they don't have the outlet of marriage I mean my heart goes out to them they have no ability to restrain their their flesh they have no spirit of Christ within them and yet on the other side, they're, they're pretty dangerous people because they're leading people astray. Second uh, Peter 2.10 says, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despising authority. Um, he says down in verse 18 of Second Peter 2, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. Uh, this is the way he describes these kind of people. It seems hard to hear that, but that's, that's what he's telling us. And we see it being played out. So it, it has to be true. 
uh, Galatians 5.19, I thought this was interesting because it tells us what the works of the flesh are. Paul says in, in, in Galatians 5.19, he says, you know what, if you want to know what the works of the flesh are, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. They're very evident. And guess what the first three are? Sexual immorality. That's a work of the flesh. Impurity, number two. And sensuality. Right off the top. That's where it all starts. And that's where all of this gets mixed up. It was immorality that Israel was, it was, it was for immorality that Israel was left in the wilderness. It was for immorality that angels were bound in chains. It was for immorality of the Gentiles in Sodom and Gomorrah, why they were destroyed. All that, it was their immorality. They defiled the flesh. And that's one of the evidences. The second one is their insubordination. Their insubordination. And look at what it says in verse 8. It says, they not only defile the flesh, but secondly, what's it say? They reject authority. They just outright reject authority. I mean, obviously, if you're going to live an immoral life and you're going to love your sin and all that, um, you're going to have to reject authority. At least you're going to have to reject God's authority. Why do you think the world doesn't want to have anything to do with God? Why do you think our society is so bent in removing God, suppressing God's truth? Because they don't want anything to interrupt with their immoral lifestyles. They don't want somebody to tell them, well, what you're doing is wrong. Well, who, how can you say that? Who do you think you are? That's their answer. You know, who made you God? Well, nobody made me God, but God's already spoken on that, and he says it's wrong, right? I mean, that's that. They reject all that. They reject authority. This word reject means to do away with. To do away with something that's already been established. It's not rejecting some new thing. It's rejecting something that's already been established. You know, you see this in the new, you know, this whole agenda with the new social thing and everything that's going on. They're tearing down all these statues. What are they doing? They're rejecting authority. I mean, this is history, right? I mean, you saw it with ISIS. When they were conquering over there, what were they doing? They were taking down all these religious symbols that existed for many years. Relics, really. And they destroyed them. They buried them. They wanted to do away with Why? Because they're rejecting authority. Uh, authority here, this word um, in the original Greek, it, it's related to the word kurios. You know what kurios is, right? Lord. Lord. Lord Jesus. They're rejecting authority. They rejected any lordship in their life at all. And you say, well, who, who are they specifically rejecting here? We'll go back to verse 4. It tells us. Look at verse 4 at the very end. It says, they deny our only master and what? And Lord Jesus Christ. This is what they do. They deny it. And this has crept into our churches. Uh, you have to have a proper understanding of who God is and who Christ is and who the Holy Spirit is, or, or you're going to get way off base. And so we have an element, and I went to a school for a while that taught this, that you could basically come to Jesus as your Savior. He'll forgive you of your sins. Don't worry about the Lord thing. You don't worry about that. You can make him Lord later. <laughs> but you just come and get your sins forgiven so you can go to heaven. Um, that's very wrong. And you hear it phrased this way. Well, you know what? Wouldn't you, don't you want to make Jesus Lord of your life? Have you ever heard that? You don't have to make Jesus Lord. Last time I checked, he is Lord. 
You don't make them anything. I mean, who do we think we are? I mean, I am blessed and I'm delighted and joyously, joyously committed to the Lordship of Christ in my life. I mean, if it wasn't for that, I'd be lost. Utterly lost. These people are not. They're, they're not interested in having somebody as Lord over their life. And that's really the struggle when we're sharing the, our faith with people, right? When we're trying to tell them about Christ and tell them about their need. Of what, they're fighting against it, right? They don't want somebody else to control their life. Give me a break. Well, they want to do what they want to do. They do not submit to the Christ-revealed lordship. They don't submit to the revealed scripture. They have their own theology. They have their own views. They have their own dreams. <laughs> they have their own imagination. It's so arrogant. And they think they're the master of their own destiny. Um, when you hear people say the Bible isn't true, Jesus isn't who he says he was, and he didn't do what he said he did. They're just rejecting his lordship. They're just, it's like a little child putting their hands over their ears and saying, la, la, I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. That's what they're doing. And most people, when you actually talk to somebody who's rejecting the word of God or rejecting God, when you dig down and you start to ask them certain questions, you know, I always like to ask them this question. Oh, I said, so you've read the Bible? No, but I know it's wrong. Really? So you've never read it? Well, I read a couple, but I, you know, oh, so you really haven't done any investigation into it. And they begin to realize, well, this is kind of a stupid argument. I'm arguing about something that I've never even looked at. Okay? And so we have to remember that, you know, it it all comes down to the lordship of Christ. And when you think about it, it, it follows the same pattern. Right? Guess who rejected the lordship of Christ? Israel. How? When they rebelled against Christ because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 4 that Christ was the rock in the wilderness. Remember? They rejected all that. The angels rebelled against Christ who was the Lord of heaven and they removed themselves from heaven. They said, we're not going to do what you tell us to do. We're going to go somewhere else. We're going to go down to earth. (laughs) Even the Gentiles in Sodom and Gomorrah, they rebelled against the divine sovereign of heaven because he shares his rule Christ with his eternal son, according to John 5. See, there's nothing new about rejecting lordship. It's been going on for a long time. Israel had contempt for God's rule. The angels had contempt for God's rule. The Gentiles have contempt for God's rule, for his law. It's immorality. It's insubordination. They always go together. They always go together. Because if you're subordinate to the word of God, and the authority of Christ, then guess what? You will submit to the Lordship of Christ. You will. And then you're not going to be immoral because you're going to do what God has told you to do. And he's told you to flee those things. You're not going to run to him. You're not going to try to find an end around and and, and subvert the word of God. You're going to want to do what the Lord wants you to do. And the false teachers, unfortunately, are like the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus describes in Matthew 23. He says on the outside, they're all painted white, right? They look wonderful. Wow, they look so religious. They look so nice. But then he says, you know what? On the inside, they stink because they're full of dead dead man's bones. That's really what these teachers are. Um, And a lot of good Christians have bought into this whole, whole scenario, and they're being drugged down the wrong path. And... um, 
we have to stand up against that. And the last thing here, the, the, their irreverence, we're not going to get into this completely because it's, it's, it's like a whole lesson all by itself because you have to go into a lot of verses. But it talks about blaspheming the glorious ones in the ESV. I think in the New American Standard it says defile the angelic majesties. Um, that word blaspheme, it means to slander, it means to speak evil of. Um, the phrase angelic majesties or glorious ones is one little word, four-letter word in the Greek, doxa. Doxa means glorious. Doxology, right? That's where we get that word. And uh, um, it, it basically talks about how they were blaspheming angels. And it, 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 it speaks about, in the Old Testament, you know, why this was so important. And, and one thing that, that we don't realize sometimes is the role of angels when it comes to um, establishing God's moral order, his moral authority. The angels had a big part in this. And we're going to get into this um, next time. But it, it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, just to whet your appetite, Verse 10, it says, Bold and willfully, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. And then it goes on, it says, Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. And we're going to get into all that. But this is really speaking of the, the role of these angels and how important they were to God giving out his word. They were, they were involved at the very beginning when, when God was dismending, giving out his word to Israel and to us. And so what, what this is talking about is they're really, when you're, when you're a false teacher, when you're somebody who's not upholding the word of God, you're really even blaspheming angels and their role. And by the way, we're going to look at a, a couple texts where it even talks about Michael, because he's mentioned here too, and how he wouldn't blaspheme another angel, even a fallen angel, he wouldn't blaspheme. That's how important this is. And yet these false teachers are blaspheming holy angels. We're going to end there for tonight. I know that's a lot.